Hello, listeners, and welcome back to the podcast. Uh, Before I start this week's episode, I just wanted to give you a quick heads up on something. This will be part one of a two-part episode um, uh, interview that I did with Brad Orda, uh, the associate pastor at Country Bible on the doctrine of election. And as you may be familiar, that's a challenging doctrine to understand. So rather than trying to give it all to you in one episode, we decided to divide it up between two episodes, give you part one this week and part two in a couple of weeks. Um, So stay tuned for the second part of this episode, and we hope you enjoy the podcast. Welcome to Midweek in the Word where each week we seek to become better readers, hearers, and doers of God's Word. This podcast is brought to you by Faith Bible Church in Lincoln, Nebraska. Now, here is your host, Faith Bible Church's Adult Ministries Pastor, Pastor Brad Myers. Hello, listeners, and welcome back to another episode of Midweek in the Word. Thanks so much for taking the time out of your busy schedules to tune in. I'm really excited for this week's episode as we continue our series, What Does the Bible Say About? Looking at bite-sized pieces of theology and trying to understand what Scripture says to it. Um, But I will admit as well that I am a bit anxious about this week's topic, because like most people who have studied theology much in depth, uh, there's a little bit of PTSD surrounding this subject for me, as may be the case for you as well, listeners, but it's an essential doctrine for us to understand. Um, So before we get into that topic, I thought I'd introduce our guest this week on the podcast. We decided we would bring back in a ringer rather than having Tom come back on the podcast uh, from the outside. He's been a guest before, and now he's back by popular demand. Uh, Brad, or the Country Bible Church's associate pastor, welcome to the podcast, Brad. Well, thank you. I'm excited to be here. I, well, I think I am. I don't know. <laughs> there, we'll see. there we go. In a couple of weeks, we'll let you know, Brad, yeah. how, how it went. Uh, we're excited to have Brad back on the podcast. If you don't remember, listeners, he was he was on last October and discussed the canon of Scripture in episode 42 on the podcast. If you, if you didn't hear his introduction there, I'd encourage you to go back and find that. But uh, he is the associate pastor and an elder at Country Bible Church out in Bennett, uh, one of our partner churches here in the Lincoln area. It's a pleasure to have you back on the podcast and uh, have your partnership in this Lincoln area as we seek to fulfill Christ's call on his church here in Lincoln, Nebraska. Um, but listeners, before I actually get into the topic, before maybe maybe you know what's coming, maybe you've, you've been here with the last couple of weeks, you ta- heard us talk about sin and salvation, and you know where we got to go next. However, uh, let me remind you before we get into that, um, that this last week we had uh, our Dear Church sermon series. We had church number six from that series, and Chris Weiniger talked about uh, the church at Philadelphia and how Christ encouraged that church. If you missed that message or weren't able to be with us, we just encourage you to go back to our website site, faithbiblelincoln.org, and find that message. Just hit the resources tab and click on the sermons button. You can find any old sermons that you missed if you weren't able to be with us. Uh, You can also find our sermons feed podcast by searching for Faith Bible Church Lincoln, Nebraska, and it is the podcast with the black background and the white letters. Uh, That is our sermons feed podcast. You can download any of those past sermons, listen to them again, or listen to them for the first time if you weren't able to join us on the week that they were delivered. Okay, so Brad, that's it for introduction. Um, This week, uh, we're diving into what may be the most debated topic in all of Scripture. I don't want to go out too far on a limb. Um, We've covered mankind, sin, and salvation, all of which we've admitted are largely agreed upon. 
And now we get to talk about the doctrine of election, which uh, I, I, Tom Tom let me invite somebody else in rather than wanting to address. <laughs> I don't know why he decided this week. Uh, no worries. It's a joy, and I'm glad you're willing just to jump in on this subject. Uh, listeners, before we move in on the questions, let me just introduce uh, this concept a bit with by reading a section from our doctrinal statement that addresses it. Like we've been doing on the other episodes, we want to connect this to our doctrinal statement. So let me, let me read what we believe, and then we're going to move into discussing this with Brad. Okay, doctrinal statement says, We believe salvation is holy of God by grace through faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ, through the merit of his shed blood and not on the basis of human merit or works. Salvation is given by God as a gift to those whom he has chosen before the foundation of the world and drawn to himself through the work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit guides in repentance, gives the faith necessary to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and his completed work by his death, burial, and resurrection so that no one can boast. That's the doctrinal statement that touches on this subject of election. Uh, But Brad, let's bring you into this conversation. What does the Bible say about election? What is it? Uh, it says an awful lot. And <laughs> even before I answer that question, I, I think you're absolutely right uh, to, you know, say, like, this is a, a difficult topic to address. Yeah. And I, on two levels. First, like like you alluded to, like emotionally. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, we're, we're talking about uh, the salvation of souls here. Like, this isn't a, a light topic. And I like, like me, unbelieving family members, like there are people we care about, like mm-hmm. we love dearly, and so I don't know, like to start the conversation just by acknowledging that this is hard. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but also, I think intellectually, it's it's challenging. Uh, kind of. I mean, this is like the the author of Hebrews says, like solid food for the mature. <laughs> right. Uh, right. You know, this is. Uh, I don't know. I don't know that I'd say it's the Mount Everest of theology, <laughs> but uh, it's it's there. It's in the range, probably, because yeah. primarily, it's it's at the point that you're talking about election, where you're not only talking about something that Scripture addresses directly, but I think really to understand election. You're having to understand how all of the themes you guys have already talked about fold together. Like, what is God's purpose in creation? How does God's sovereignty work? What is foreknowledge? What is sin? Like, how has sin affected us? Mm. Like, all of those themes fold together. And for a person really to understand uh, the nature of election, they have to understand like all of those things at the foundation first. But and to your to your question, I I, I would just read uh, I think Romans eight twenty eight twenty nine thirty uh, really uh, lays out uh, kind of the chain uh, pretty clearly. Paul writes, "We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to His purpose. For those whom He foreknew." He also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he called, he also predestined, those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. When we're talking about election, we're looking kind of at the beginning of the chain there, like 
prior to a person's glorification, they're justified, and prior to a person being justified, they were predestined, foreknown by God. And so I think probably a basic definition of election would be before the foundation of the world, God chose to save some people according to his sovereign purpose. Mm. Very good. And and you're getting into that that sequence here. In a little bit, we want to discuss what, what we would refer to as the order of salvation, how mm. those things take place. We're going to come back to Romans 8 here. Okay, so but but you're highlighting, you know, God's God's sovereignty. Again, we've talked about that in the past, in mankind's salvation. You know, with listeners, the last couple of weeks, we've highlighted how God initiated to solve the issue of sin. That's what you're talking about, that we've got to wrap up all of that. I guess this is my best way of saying, if you missed any of the previous episodes, pause it now and go back and listen to those previous episodes of who is man and what is sin and those ideas. Absolutely. In fact, I, I went back and listened to the episode on sin because I think, like, if you don't get sin right, you're never going to understand election. And you and Tom did a fantastic job, I think preparing the ground for like, what does the Bible actually say about my heart? Mm. You know, apart from God's grace, where am I at? And I'm utterly dead in my sins and trespasses. Like, I I am incapable of doing anything that's pleasing to mm. God. And so, you know, election is really looking at, you know, how does God's grace work in the heart of a person who mm. is dead? You know, like, we're we're in the valley of dry bones. There's, there's yeah. nothing that we can do to bring life. And, uh, you know, our call as believers, uh, like Ezekiel, is to, to prophesy the Word of God over people who are utterly dead. And God, by His power, through His Word, is going to bring life where sin has brought death. Mm, very good. Very good. Okay, so listeners, we'll assume at this point that you've gone back and you've listened through all those episodes. You understand what we're talking about. You're up to speed on sin and salvation. Now we're moving into this election. How does that take place in the life of a believer? Brad, you've already brought up Romans 8, talking about this, what may be the classic passage on election. Um, But surely if it's a a doctrine like this, it's got to be found in other places in Scripture. Where else do we go to in the Bible to talk about this subject? Everywhere. <laughs> Where do we not go to talk uh, yeah, about yeah, this subject? Yeah, I, I don't... Uh, I, mean, I mean, on the one hand, uh, the, a very serious answer would be probably the most extensive treatments uh, are Romans 8, Romans 9, sort of Romans 10 and 11, uh, mm-hmm. a little maybe more particularly on Israel there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ephesians 1 and 2, it's definitely uh, just all over uh, there. But really, I'd say it's it's... Uh, littered throughout the text. Like you see it in the book of Acts, you see it in Thessalonians, you see it in First Peter, you see it in the Old Testament. You know, from, the, from Genesis on, we see God choosing people according to his purpose. You know, he chooses Abram out of all the Chaldeans. He chooses uh, Isaac over Ishmael, Jacob over Esau. Like God is uh, a God who is continually setting his sovereign electing love on people and calling them according mm. to his purpose. Mm. And so I think uh, the more we just submit ourselves to Scripture, the more we'll see it uh, undergirding a lot of what uh, is revealed in the Word of God. Mm. 
And a clear example, I, I love that you bring up Jacob and Esau, because that would be a classic example. That's not just us seeing something in the text that isn't explicitly there. That's exactly where the book of Romans goes to talk about this process. Yeah, yeah. Paul says that very explicitly in Romans 9. Jacob I loved and Esau I hated. Yeah. And, and goes on to talk pretty extensively about election with Jacob and Esau being his example. Mm. Okay. So we understand that, that Scripture throughout shows us examples, and then especially in Ephesians and especially in Romans, though, you know, Acts talks about being people being called and those being predestined, and mm. it, it finds itself in so many other books as well. So we understand that all of Bible kind of highlights this idea of God's foreknowledge, God's choice of individuals who will follow him, who will be believers as this idea of election. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. And I'd say, like, uh, maybe a good example would be, uh, when I say it's undergirding things that we don't necessarily see it, like it's not Hmm. explicit. So if you look up election or predestination in your concordance, you're going to see a few passages. But uh, there are other places where I think the more you think about it, it, it's apparent. For instance, every time the New Testament instructs us to pray for unbelievers to come to belief. Mm. We're, what are we praying for? We're praying for the Spirit of God to work in their hearts and bring life where there is no life. Like mm. We are hoping that God will set his electing love on them or has set his electing love on them and will bring them into belief. Yeah. And like, uh, you know, sometimes, like, I think, uh, for, certainly for me, for you, like, this was a a hard hill to climb. Yeah. Uh, but uh, I realized even before I ever would have uh, considered myself somebody who embraced a biblical notion of election, uh, I realized that, like, like it's already kind of there in just my prayers. Like, mm. by praying that unbelievers come to faith, I'm assuming that God works in hearts to bring people to belief. Mm. That their eyes of their hearts might be opened yeah yeah to the truth yeah absolutely okay so so hopefully listeners this gives you a bit of a foundation here on this subject you understand what we mean by election what what that doctrine is in scripture now most of our conversation is probably going to take place within our third question here cuz let's 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 assume for a moment for argument's sake Brad um, that there are some disagreements within orthodoxy on I think this. that's a safe Just assumption hypothetically let's let's bring that up as an option okay let's let's talk here a little bit what are the disagreements within orthodoxy, within believers? There, there's going to be some heresies we're going to talk about here in a moment as well. But where is the disagreement within believers on this idea of election? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, we, we can talk about, if, if you think of something like a continuum and like the outside limits of the continuum, I think on either side there's heresies. Mm. Uh, but inside the heresies, uh, like in the, towards the middle of the spectrum, Right, there are uh, a couple different common systems that are trying to put together everything that the Bible says about these issues in like a coherent way. Hmm. Uh, and they're both biblically striving to understand what the text of Scripture says. Yes, yes, very much. <laughs> and deal uh, with that reality. Yeah. I think, uh, you know, the first, uh, I, I, I would say, uh, August, Augustine uh, mm-hmm. or Calvinism, uh, Maybe if you're like me, like it's in Paul. It's in Paul. <laughs> uh, it, it predates Augustine, but uh, Calvinism is commonly called uh, is uh, 
the notion that uh, God does sovereignly set his electing love on some people and brings those people into belief uh, where uh, people who uh, disagreed with Calvin uh, or the followers of Calvin, uh, the remonstrants mm-hmm. following Jacob Arminius, uh, laid out uh, the remonstrance, which kind of articulated counterpoints to points Calvin was making. Uh, and uh, since then, there's been a lot of debate inside of evangelicalism uh, or inside uh, the history of the Protestant Reformation about how do these truths sit together. Mm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so you'll commonly hear uh, people talk about Calvinism, Arminianism. Uh, just that's a very long-running debate, and that's it's a serious debate. It's a the sort of debate that has divided churches. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a really important one to understand where people are at. Okay, so you kind of set the parameters. You're like there are areas that are outside of of doctrine, areas that that people move into error. We'll talk about those heresies here in a moment, but. Both, we, we talked about a few weeks ago with sin, both sides are, are recognizing essential total depravity, this reality of the human heart being incapable of choosing good in their own ability. And they're trying to make sense of this tension we feel between God's electing choice, God's sovereignty, and man's ability to make meaningful choices in this world. And we end up in that discussion on free will. I want to go there. Um, but this is, where, this is where that conversation of order of salvation, what are the things that take place in someone becoming saved? We didn't talk about this last week, listeners, when we talked about salvation, um, but explain that a little bit, because I think that brings some clarity on this subject, Brad. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. Uh, it's, Calvinists and Arminians uh, essentially agree on total depravity, at least uh, prior to God's grace being operative, yep. that we're starting in the same place, that there's... There's nothing uh, redeeming in us. Um, but if we're talking about, you know, since God's grace became operative, there's a lot of disagreement about, like, as I'm born today, what is the weight of original sin? Yeah. Uh, and so, um, personally, I think uh, we're talking about the order of salvation. I, we have to be talking first about election. It's, mm-hmm. it's clearly there in Scripture. Uh, and... Calvinist Arminians uh, are both agreeing that election is there in Scripture. They're definitely disagreeing about what that election is. Yeah. Uh, and then both would agree that there is a gospel call. Yeah. Uh, that uh, a elect person has to hear the gospel. They have to hear the message of the gospel in order to respond to that message where uh, an Arminian would say that uh, absolutely everyone uh, is uh, able to respond, natural, or morally able to respond to hearing the gospel call. A Calvinist would say, no, sin has affected us so radically that, as Tom said, uh, our hearts are always set in rebellion against God. Uh, and so my response to hearing the gospel is going to be chafing against the gospel mm-hmm. unless the Spirit of God starts working inside my heart. So here you start to see the two diverge, where yeah. uh, the Arminian says, oh, the general call uh, 
is sufficient because God has preveniently or preemptively given his grace to all people everywhere in the world. Or the Calvinists would say, no, uh, a person hears the general call, the gospel has to be preached, but then there is an effectual call, that is the Holy Spirit starts working in a person's heart cooperatively with uh, you know, that person hearing the gospel call, their heart begins to come alive to life in a way that they can respond to the gospel mm. that they heard. And then a really clear diversion by the third step where uh, a Calvinist would say, then a person is born again, they're regenerate, uh, and then fourth step, they can respond in faith and repentance, they can mm-hmm. be converted, and Arminian would reverse steps three and four and say that a person articulates belief, a person comes to faith, and then they are born again. Mm. And, you know, uh, both then agree, though they disagree about the, the order of steps three and four, they both agree that after step four, a person is justified, and then they're adopted as a son or daughter of God, mm. uh, and then they begin the process of sanctification. And so... When we talk about the order of salvation, I think it's important to understand that both for Calvinists and Arminians, they're not imagining that uh, steps 3, 4, 5, 6 necessarily uh, have a temporal priority. That is, there's like, you know, step 3 and then step 4 and then a week later, step 5 and then a month later, step 6. But it's a logical priority. Right. uh, these things are all happening essentially instantaneously from our perspective, yeah. but that one has to precede the other. Which is part of the reason so many, maybe some of you listeners are sitting and you're like, every time people start talking about this doctrine, I get, I get, you know, get glassy eyed and I get unconcerned because I'm like, if it happens in an instant in somebody, I'm not overly concerned about the order in some of this discussion. And we respect that that, that is a reality <laughs> that people feel that where they're like, let's not fight about it. Like, Somebody became a believer, and that's good, right? We can delight in that, yeah, uh, absolutely. Uh, but the more we think about it, there yeah. are real practical implications to some of these yeah. questions, uh, and they very much do bear on the way we think about life, the way we uh, preach the gospel to the lost, uh, that our, some of our assumptions about these questions undergird a lot of our practical theology. Yeah. Yeah, and go go a little bit farther yet into the discussion, because obviously this order of salvation, you've talked about all the way through up, up through adoption, but obviously the, the fifth point of Calvinism, that P, the perseverance of the saints, also comes into this discussion. So how does that relate to this disagreement as well? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so as I, they all have, there's a logical priority uh, in these steps, uh, both for Calvinists and Arminians. They both I would agree that a seventh step is sanctification. Yep. And that's not a thing that happens instantaneously, as Tom wisely said uh, right. last week, you right. know, that yeah. uh, that's a lifelong process where I'm dying to self and becoming more like Christ. But at the end of my sanctification, if I've persevered, we call that, we call that a step, but it's like if I come to the end of my life having persevered in the faith, uh, then at death, I'm united with Christ. And I think it's important uh, to understand that one of the key differences between Calvinists and Arminians uh, would be that Calvinists say, because I was born again and then responded in faith, or essentially because God brought my heart to Mm -hmm. life, uh, 
that was a work of God in me that I can't undo. Right. Like, yeah. there are people who seem to be in faith in our eyes uh, who aren't actually in faith and fall away, but there aren't actually people who can, who genuinely have salvation and can lose it. Yeah. Arminians uh, would say, no, a person's perseverance is absolutely conditional because, step three, they chose to believe before they were born again that they have to consistently choose to believe that a person could potentially lose their salvation if they were no longer choosing to believe. Yeah, yeah, and listeners, this becomes pretty relevant as you think back over our, our messages on the seven churches, how we've talked about that that future hope that's offered to those of believers and that desire to, to a, those that have ears to hear, let them hear. You know, it comes down to that perseverance idea. For those that persevere, there's this reward given out. Well, this would be an area that Calvinists and Arminians would disagree on how to interpret a passage like that. And Arminians would say it's on us to, to persevere, to, to, to obey, to keep doing. The others would say it is on us, it is our choice, but those that, whose hearts have come alive will persevere to the end. Absolutely. Yeah, okay. and uh, actually total depravity really is the only point uh, <laughs> of the five, right? Of the five that they can agree on. And they don't even really agree on, like, what total depravity looks like today. They yeah. agree on what it looked like before Christ. Very uh, good. You know, they uh, certainly, uh, Calvinists would say that God's election is without conditions. God mm-hmm. isn't looking forward to see who will choose to believe and then electing those people. But God's election is according to God's purpose, and there are no conditions on it. He's not choosing people who are better or wiser or more powerful or anything. Right. Why God chooses some is an utter mystery to us, though it's not at all mysterious to him, where an Arminian would say, no, God's election is absolutely conditional. God looks forward to see who will choose to believe and then sets his electing love on those people. Hmm. And so there is very much a condition on belief. And accordingly, uh, Calvinists would say that uh, Jesus' sacrifice, while it was sufficient to cover the sins of all people, all places, all time, Jesus' sacrifice is only efficient. It's only mm-hmm. effective for people who choose to believe, where uh, an Arminian uh, believes in an unlimited atonement, meaning uh, they believe that Jesus' sacrifice actually covered all of the sins for all people, all time. Now, it's only applicable to people who choose to believe, but on the cross, Jesus actually paid for the sins of everyone, believers and unbelievers. And I think at that point, uh, there's a difficult question for me, uh, you know, that if it were true that uh, Jesus actually paid for the sins of all people, all times, and all places, on the cross, those sins are paid for, God's wrath against those sins is satisfied, then we have to ask the question, I think, on what basis would an unbeliever be sent to hell? Mm. Because their sins have already been paid for by Christ. And, you know, the the typical response uh, from a person of Arminian conviction is, well, based on whether or not they believe. And I think the question that occurs to me then is, so is unbelief a sin? Because if God is condemning a person who doesn't believe for the sin of unbelief, wasn't the sin of unbelief paid for on the cross by Christ? Mm. And 
if the sin of, or if the, if the act of not believing is not a sin, but all sins were paid for on the cross by Jesus Christ, mm. then I still don't understand on what basis an unbeliever is sent to hell. Mm. Uh, and then, of course, uh, there is, uh, you know, the notion of grace. Yeah. Like, how does God's grace operate? I don't, I don't know if you want to go there. <laughs> how much we want to go down that Yeah. Road. Yeah, go for it. Go for it. Well, I think, uh, you know, for the, the Calvinist, uh, I think it's important to understand that, that God is absolutely a God of intent and purpose and that nothing can thwart uh, God's purpose unless he allows it to. Mm-hmm. And so when uh, before the foundation of the world, God decided to set his electing love on some, that there is absolutely never an elect person who dies apart from faith in the gospel. And uh, accordingly, uh, the Spirit, when the Spirit begins to work, uh, is never ultimately thwarted. We can resist the grace of God, yeah. but the God's grace... grieve the Spirit, to use... It, yeah, yeah, grieve the Spirit, but God's grace is ultimately irresistible. Yeah. That God doesn't uh, set his electing love on a person and then fail to bring that person to belief. Where uh, an Arminian would, would say, no, even God's electing grace is absolutely resistible, that God isn't setting a special sort of grace on the people who uh, believe, but in fact, he just gives roughly the same amount of grace to all people, provenient grace, and he gets them, uh, he gets them to a point where they are able to exercise their own free will and choose to believe. Mm. So, listeners, you're getting a, a sense for how these two paths diverge, right, <laughs> right from the beginning, and maybe why there have been so many arguments, because there's so many implications of these two, this fundamental disagreement that takes place on how that process of regeneration takes place in the life of a believer. Mm-hmm. Um, if you didn't pick up on it, Brad was obviously walking there through what you may be familiar with as far as the five points of Calvinism, the tulip ideal, total depravity, mm-hmm. unlimited election, you know... Um, Help me, or uh, uh, unconditional election. Gra- thank you, thank you. I'm like that's uh, not right. Limited, limited atonement, irresistible yeah, right. grace, and the perseverance, and perseverance of, the of the saints. Which again, basically, the the good thing is these are really. If you can remember one side's position, they're really easy to remember the other side's position because they basically just take the exact opposite <laughs> position. Yeah, the remonstrance uh, points were essentially the opposite. That there is conditional yep. election. There's unlimited atonement. There is total depravity, though they maybe. Describe it a little bit differently today. Uh, There's provenient grace, and then there is a conditional perseverance of the saints. Yeah. So this is, you get this this nuanced challenge of walking down this road, and you get these two positions. Okay, now this is all within the understanding of orthodoxy. This is all within that that reality, and these these two sides have a tendency to push back on each other, back and forth. Yeah, and I I would suggest, uh, you know, maybe rather than trying to suss out all five points, like, Really just thinking about, you know, does regeneration precede faith or does faith precede regeneration? And, and personally, uh, though Romans, Ephesians are great, what Jesus is saying and to Nicodemus in John chapter 3 mm. and even in John chapter 6 yeah. is really helpful for me in kind of sorting out, you know, how exactly do these two things work together? Because Nicodemus is confused by the very same thing, like, how can a person be born again and and Jesus lays that out for him. 
Well, listeners, I'm afraid that's all we have time for this week. Hopefully you've enjoyed the first part of this two-part interview, getting to talk with Brad about the doctrine of election. We will have the remainder of that interview here on the podcast in two weeks, as we'll have a ministry highlight sandwiched in between. Um, but before we get there, let me just remind you that this coming Sunday, uh, we have our seventh church in our Dear Church sermon series here at the church. Um, Dimitri Osichuk, one of the volunteer elders here at Faith Bible Church, church will be in the pulpit on Sunday. We'll be talking about the church at Laodicea, a church that there's some pretty challenging words from Christ for. So we'd encourage you to join us at either our 9 o'clock or 1030 services as we begin wrapping up that sermon series and you get the chance to hear from one of our lay elders. Um, And that's it for this week's episode. Uh, Like I said, as always, we hope it's been helpful to you. We hope that the remainder of the interview in a couple of weeks will be helpful to you as well. And if it is, just remember you can always comment on the podcast. You can rate it or you can share it with someone else to help other people find it. And we hope you join us again next week for Midweek in the Word. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. To learn more about Faith Bible Church, please visit our website at www.faithbiblelincoln.org. You can also find us on Facebook by searching for Faith Bible Church, Lincoln, Nebraska, or on Twitter at the handle at FBC Lincoln. As for this week... We'll leave you with Paul's words to Timothy. But you, man of God, flee from all this and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith.